Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's Happy Hour. She went across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, I went to the ABC and auditioned. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I And I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of The Stages Podcast, where today my guests are Leslie and Bruce Scott. They are a dynamic duo. They have championed the careers of countless performers and guided them in the pursuit of career and craft, providing invaluable experiences on tour and on stages. Leslie and Bruce are perfectly equipped as they come to the business, extensively schooled as performers in the business. Bruce commenced his professional career in 1966 in J.C. Williamson's production of Funny Girl as a dancer and followed this with the appointment as principal dancer in their next production, Fiddler on the Roof. A sojourn to the UK followed with gigs that included Humpty Dumpty on Ice, several West End reviews and two years at the Lido in Paris. Returning to Australia, he danced in the musicals Charlie Girl and Pippin. At the age of nine, Leslie made her first professional stage appearance in the Johnny O'Keefe Stage Show, followed by numerous Australian tours of the pantomime Snow White, the Flintstones and Peter Pan. Performing the Australian and West End seasons of the musicals My Fair Lady and Irene added to her growing resume. And for the Australian opera, Leslie was the principal dancer in productions including The Merry Widow, La Boheme and Nambucco. It is a delight to feature Leslie and Bruce in this episode of Stages. Theirs is a life rich in experience, wisdom and so much more, gathered from a life traversing many stages. <laughs> the machine goes, I press record and everyone goes... <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. No, you won't? <laughs> no, I won't. Oh, good. Together, wherever we go. <laughs> and what's that from? Eh? What's that from? It's from a musical. What musical? Do you know? Oh, Gypsy. Gypsy, yes. well yes. done. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gypsy, which could be um, the story of your lives as well, isn't it? Well, it could be, but um, I, all I see with Gypsy is Gloria Dawn, bless her, because that was, uh, I was very close to Donna Lee, and yeah, when her mum did Gypsy, and her mum, that's where she became very ill in Gypsy. And we were in, she was in Melbourne at the time. And that's the one thing that always sticks in my mind about Gypsy is Gloria Dawn. You obviously saw that production. Yes, absolutely, yes. many times. Yeah, we were in Geelong, and in actual fact, running a grooming and deportment course with Honey Vanderbosch. With Honey well, Vanderbosch. For Honey Hand, um, Vanderbosch. The famous wheel girl <laughs> from the Grand Kennedy's oh, right. show, right? <laughs> the Barrel Girl. Yes, at the end yes, of it. yeah, yes. Right. Honey Vanderbosch. Yes. And uh, so we took they took all the students from the deportment class to see Gypsy and to meet Gloria and what have you but but she was wonderful like afterwards she spoke to all the girls and you know um, praised them for what they were doing you know this deportment and grooming because Geelong the girls were a little bit rough 
And so, yeah, and we brought Kenneth down from Sydney and he came and did all their hair and everything. And yeah, it was, Kenneth was a famous hairstylist. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. absolutely. Right. Kenneth Mr. Kenneth was um, Joan Sutherland's hairstylist, and um, yeah, and did all the opera and everything. And yeah, musicals. He, yeah, he was very famous, Mr. Kenneth. Gypsy's yeah. a great backstage musical, of yes. course. You know, yes. and I, I mentioned it because I guess you know you, you've had a career of, of performing in live entertainments and, and musicals, and absolutely. Of course, touring your own shows featuring. Uh, the, 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 no, they're not the Dainty Junes, the, the Hollywood Blondes. The Hollywood I think, Blondes, in, in, yes, in, is more in, like it, yes. Yeah, yeah, all over the world, yeah. which we'll talk about a little bit later mm-hmm. in the conversation. But another great backstage musical is A Chorus Line. Yeah. And the big anthem from that is What I Did For Love. Yes. What, what have you done for love in your, in uh, your career? What I did for love, well, we got married. We did that for love. Um, and in 76. Yes. Working together um, and never being apart. I think um, a lot of people, they go to work on their daily jobs and everything and separated during the day or whatever. But Bruce and I were together 24-7. Uh, we were an act, uh, dancing act. Uh, we worked together. We were travelled together. We were never apart. So I think for... And our marriages lasted and... How long have we been married now? <laughs> Since 1976. Now 21, yes. <laughs> so. Work that out. <laughs> well, you're certainly a dynamic duo, you know, and I've never seen anything but love. But have you had your moments? Has it been challenging oh, at times of of working together? So well, closely? the dynamic duo, Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one is which. But anyway. Yeah, um, we have had our moments, yes. of course, you know, and... Um, I'm just trying to think of one. I'm sure there are a million. But, yeah, of course. And and particularly, like, I think when we were putting the act together, because... Creative difference. Yes. Well, no, not really, because Bruce was the... um, He put the whole act together, because Bruce had worked um, in uh, many shows where he was doing pas de deux, and our act was an adagio act. And I'd never done lifting. I was an acrobat. And so um, we were putting... Bruce was training me to be an adagio dancer. He'd worked in the Lido and... Um, in the New South Wales Dance Company where he'd done a lot of part of her work. And he expected... Well, at one stage he, he even asked if I would do the act on ice because he was an ice skater. Mm. And he he said it was much easier to lift on ice. Momentum. And uh, But I, I wasn't up to that. I was not an ice skater. So um, back to the floor. and But, of course, then uh, if I did something wrong, um, he would let me know. Like he... Not drop me to hurt me, but make me realise that I can't do that in that lift and it's not going to work. And yeah, so that... we were rehearsing on the back back garden at Ashfield in my grandmother's home, and because there was vast expanses of grass and nothing you could hit or anything like that, so we were doing all the lifts and things there and what have you until we got to a, a certain lift called an up and over where she comes runs in and puts her leg out to second and I take her under the leg of the rib cage and I push her up and I twist her so she turns, rotates around over the top of my I head. I leave his hands yes. when up there, by the way. The rotation <laughs> takes place and I catch her on the way down into a bluebird fish, right? Catch. And, uh, yeah, so that perseverance, we got there. <laughs> you got there. Yes. Got there. So define for the listener, what is an adagio act? Oh, it's a lifting act. It's right. a, um, We did acrobatic tricks um, where Bruce, I'd get into a acrobatic position and Bruce would lift me above his head, carry me. But we were different in that we were a dancing adagio act. 
Um, a lot of them are what we call grunt and grind, where the guy's a really great big guy and the girl's a little petite, tiny little thing. And he just stands there and lifts her in wonderful positions, arabesque presses and things like that above his head and holds her in positions and that, which is also very beautiful. Um, but we were both dancers and I'm, 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 of course I'm smaller than Bruce, but we were more of a um, similar uh, look, like we weren't, like he wasn't huge and I wasn't tiny, tiny. And so we were what we called a dancing adagio act where we made all our movements flow. So, for example, instead of him just lifting me, I'd do an acrobatic trick into him with momentum and then keep running and he'd lift me into the lift. And, uh, yeah, so an adagio act is a, or adagio is where the man lifts the woman um, and does beautiful things. Like, it's very, very pretty to watch, and that's an adagio act. And because when we first started off doing that in 1974, um, <clears throat> we were working in the clubs, which the club circuit was the monster here in, in New yeah. South Wales, virtually in Australia too. And um, we were expected, because we were classified as a variety act, we were expected to do 15, dare I say, 20 minutes on stage, just two people. And whereas if you're a classical part of deux in a ballet company or what have you, you'd, you'd put your energies into the three and a half minutes or four minutes and that would be it. And then you'd have a re reviver while the corps de ballet did their bit. <clears throat> but no such luck for us. So we had to devise our act in a way that we started off fully costumed and we slowly peeled down from one layer to another, the different types of dance and what have you. And even in one act, we involved comedy in the end of our act as well. So it gave an insight into every facet of, of, the, of our side of the entertainment field in the Dagio, per se. Yeah. And Rose <clears throat> Jackson actually uh, designed our first costumes and Billy Goodwin made them two very famous mm. designers and so we were very lucky but in the end Bruce made all our costumes and, uh, yeah. and, and as with costumes with dance mm. uh, the costumes would be required to accommodate all of your oh, movements oh, absolutely and and, absolutely yes. like everything and Everything was like, of course, lycra wasn't around in those days. Right. Yeah, so everything was like, um, well, always into a G-string and bra to finish. Um, and then over that we'd dress a, uh, we had a full sequin suit um, that was stretched, that ripped away and things like that. So, yeah, it was a visual thing as well. Um, but when we went overseas, then they only wanted this straight adagio act and usually it was a nine-minute spot or a five-minute spot. I never thought so of that. Did. Lycra. When did Lycra appear on the scene? About um, <clears throat> about 1978, I think, something around but even, that But even when we started... Oh, but you could get cotton Lycra, but the, the quality was shocking. Shocking, huh? yeah. But Lycra, Lycra is, yeah, far more recent. And it originated from Italy, the good stuff. Good Lycra. Yes. Yeah, yes. With, with uh, ballet companies there, or how did... Why was Lycra... It was they they invented it was quite uh, was a very it the swimming stuff or bike riders. They came later. They came later. No, um, the the quality of the Italian lycra, like if if we could use an Italian lycra, maybe for four or five years, but whereas if you had a lycra that was manufactured elsewhere, um, the you're lucky quality, if you yeah. saw two years out of it. 
Wow. Yeah, because yeah. it was a, just a different weight too. Mm. Yeah. But when, when we first started, there was no Lycra. And even when we first got our first company together in 1979, everything was, we made all the costumes for all the dancers. And um, there was, certainly wasn't Lycra then. And it wasn't till I think it was in the 80s. Were there was, any stretch fabrics at all? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stretch, right. yeah, yeah, oh, yes. yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But not none that you'd use, like that we used. Very, very. Oh, we did. Yeah, we did. We did use some stretch fabrics, but they didn't have the quality and they, the colours and the lasting and everything, you right. know, that that now Lycra has. Or you know, in the eighties, I know we one of our first sets was our red and white leotards, and that was the first set of yeah. Lycra costumes that I remember us having. And the cards, Joker. Yeah, but that was the same time. Mm. That was around the same time. Mm. Yeah, Adagio I, would require a great deal of strength, I, I would imagine. How, yeah. how do you maintain your fitness and, and build the strength that you need to uh, to complete well, we, an act like that? Yeah, well, we had to. We had we worked every day, um, practiced with, every with day with weights and things. Uh, no, no, he no. used me. Like he'd, right. he, As, he'd go, he'd lie down, like in when we were warming up, or, or you know whenever we needed to work out, and he would put me in what they call a fish. So his hands were on my hips, and he'd do pressages with me. Like like using a weight, mm, wow. yeah. or on a staircase, and you you start off a parallel to the floor, and then you move back up the stairs, moving your feet up so that you're pressing you're pressing your own weight, and that's when you're pressing your own weight, that's pretty good because yeah. she's not as heavy as me. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then also like being an acrobat, I had to keep um, my back condition because obviously the older you get, even though I was only still then in my twenties. Um, you you had to keep mobility in your back, and unfortunately, when we were working overseas, um, I would often my back would go out, and in if it went out, what would happen was we wouldn't work. If you don't work, you don't get paid, because it was a nightly pay. Like when you worked, you got paid. And um, we were in Italy once, and my back went out, and uh, it was over Christmas, and. I, I just couldn't work. I couldn't work until I got to a chiropractor. You move, no, you can't. No. It's, it was horrible. And um, so we had one Christmas where we had we weren't getting paid, so we had no money. So we had the hotel, the pension that we were staying at, gave us a panettone Christmas cake, a carton of yogurt, and a bottle of spumante. Mm. Is that correct? Mm. And and we said from that day forth, once everything, once we get back to Australia or whatever. We would never, ever go hungry. We'd always make sure that we had food on our table and drink and whatever we wanted. We would never um, compromise for food. And that was one thing that we've always stuck by. Mm. doesn't matter how poor we are, we've always got plenty of food. <laughs> and once in Israel, I did my back as well. And um, this is what stopped my contortion career. I was a contortionist, you know, and contortionist is one that, you know, goes backwards and catches ankles and does all... Twists and all sorts of positions. Yeah, I don't do. I was never a front bender. I was always a back bender, and um, you know, like some of the lifts Bruce had put me in around his neck and join my ankle and my wrist, and then press me in a little circle above his head and things like that. Anyway, we were in Israel, and I did my back, and uh, they wanted me to work because it was Purim. It was their big Mm, festival, and they said, "Oh, she's got to work." And Bruce said, "She can't walk. There's no way she can work until we get to a chiropractor." And they said, "No, no, we'll look after her. We'll look after her." So they took me off to a hospital because I didn't know what where I was going or anything and they injected straight into my spine cortisone 
and all of a sudden I was fine. I could do anything. So back doing the act as though nothing had happened. Then when we moved back to London, when we went back to London and I went, my back was really sore. So I went to my chiropractor and he said, what have you done to your back? And I said, what do you mean? You know, he said, um, your back, he said, it's bulging, you know, and he said, did something happen overseas? And I said, oh, well, uh, in Israel, you know, I had an injection. And he said, oh, my goodness. He said, they've given you cortisone. He said, so you've worked on while your back's been out with no pain. He said, damage. Imperable. He said, I'm sorry. He said, your contortion days will be very limited now. And he was right. Right, just yeah. because the, the, the spine had fused or something. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just less mobility. Yeah, what, mm. what they, like when my back went out, it really just did, it, it just <clears throat> needed a chiropractor or whatever to go, er, and put it. Back, you know, it, yeah. Look, it wasn't out as in, you know, um, as you hear of people today or, or anything yeah. like that. It was just, it just needed adjusting because, you know, to keep me working, you know. And um, when they injected it, he said, unfortunately, it took all the pain away. So I worked on it, but it was still out. So it didn't, it wasn't in the correct alignment. And he said, it's, it's just done you irreparable damage. And he mm. said, you, you know, I still acrobated. I still had that, mm. but I lost my flexibility of contortion work. Do you have back problems today? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. Continues. I yeah. have to go to the Cairo um, once a month to keep me mobile. And I usually find now uh, when I stop working at the end of the year, because I'm now a dance teacher and acrobatic teacher, etc. Um, when I stop working at the end of the year, I seem to have a lot of problems and my chiropractor says because all of a sudden I relax and my back seizes because it's used to moving all the time and you know and it's not like I relax and lie on a beach for a week you know I still do things but it's not enough for me right. so yeah so there you go well, there's another answer to uh, what I did for love <laughs> yes you know, yeah yeah it, true. it certainly is and, and yeah. longevity in this and industry. chorus line and chorus line yes. chorus line um, we were in Irene in the musical at the Adelphi Theatre in London and the auditions were coming up for a chorus line for Drury Lane and Michael Bennett was coming over to stage it. So I just said to Les, I said, oh, I'm going to go in to the auditions and see how we go. And so anyway, it's, the audition started and then they went on for six months before they actually got the cast they wanted. But I lasted the distance. I got all the way through until the final day and um, I was in line with another boy for Bobby. Wow. Mm. wow. <clears throat> and Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Michael Bennett was sitting out in the audience and he said to me as I walked out on stage, he said, well, Mr. Scott, he said, show me what you can do. And I said, well, Mr. Bennett, <laughs> I said, I've spent six months showing you what I can do and that's it. And I said, and for me, that's it. Thank you. And I walked off the stage. Really? <laughs> yes. So you sort of gave the role away? Yes, so to speak. Yeah. But well, he, there was another boy there. Yeah. You know, and he, he was up for it as well. And yeah. he ended up playing the part. Yeah. Yes. Sorry to interrupt, but I think because um, in London, like it's, it's quite a... Um, the kids in London, when we worked in London, they just go from job to job to job. So if another show comes up, everyone goes, oh, well, I'll audition for that. And they just leave the show they're in. Bruce and I were under a different contract. We were Australians. We had to be in Irene for 18 months. We weren't allowed to do anything else, supposedly, yeah, yes? Yeah. 
but they allowed him to go and audition for Chorus Line and there and there was also a couple of the female yeah. chorus that went and auditioned as well. Um, but I think... Jenny. Yeah, but I think because um, Bruce was there, like he was there every day, all day, they were auditioning these kids. And I think the pressure on all of them, it just got too much because yeah, it was just, just too full on. Yeah, yeah, just, you yeah. know, just give us an idea if we're going to get it or what's going to happen. Having said that, had Bruce have got it, I'd, oh. we don't know if they'd have let him go anyway from yeah. Irene because yeah. we were contracted for 18 months and you had to stay for the and 18 months. so it was that we're just down Drury Lane <laughs> at the backstage at the Adelphi there and um, the, the, you could see the fireworks and knives and things flashing along coming from Drury Lane and what was going on backstage yeah, in that show. The, yeah, because oh, they, brought Donna, they brought Donna McKechnie, McKechnie out. Oh, right. And then, Pat Cassie. Yeah, mm. and then all the... We all were asked to go on strike because right. she wasn't a, an English, a British performer. They'd brought her out from America and they felt that we had people in England that could have played the role. Um, and this was the first time they'd done something like this, but because it was Michael Bennett, he brought her out. So we all... He was probably married to her. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. So we all had to go on, you know, carry placards and march down the streets and everything in, uh, you know, because of of, of Donna playing the role. I mean, she was brilliant. Yeah. We saw her. She was absolutely brilliant. But there were a lot of um, problems within the cast on that original cast. But I guess the genesis of that show too, which is is real life stories, mm-hmm. verbatim stories oh, of, of dancers who and laying their souls on the line to get this job. You yes. know, with Zach, the director yes. in the show. I guess maybe the auditions had a little bit of that psychological loading as well. You mm. know, with, with well, I'm, I'm sure they talked about all of that. Mm. Oh yes, yeah, yes. It was yeah. very, very interesting at times. <laughs> there were clashes of personalities in the rehearsals. Right. You could see it brewing. <laughs> yeah. So were you the only Australians in Irene? You'd done it in Australia. I of had course, done Leslie. it in Australia yeah. first, and um, yeah. And I have to say, when I went to London, and um, would you believe we were just walking down the street and saw Julie and and her husband Eddie, Julie uh, Anthony, Julie Anthony yeah, who yeah. was of course the lead in in Australia when I, I when I was in a, the cast in Australia. And, uh, and they said, oh, what are you doing here? And we'd just come across because I just auditioned at Moulin and got into Moulin as a can-can dancer. And she was going to double at the Folie Bergere, principal can-can dancer. Right. Yeah. See? Yeah. So that was the... And Bruce was going to go back to the Lido and we were just going to work in Paris for a while because that was our base with our act anyway. And uh, we, we just wanted to go across to London so I could see it. And I had been there before, but I just wanted to go over. And so we went over. And would you, what are the chances of running into someone in London and also running into Julie and Eddie? Anyway, they said, what are you doing? And we said, oh, we're just over here on a break. And they said, oh, did you know the auditions for Irene were on? And we went, oh, and we didn't. No. And so they said, come and audition, come and audition. And we went, oh, my goodness. So we did. Um, for Freddie, uh, for yeah, Freddie Carpenter, Freddie Carpenter. and um, yeah, and as luck would have it, we both got in. So then there was a dilemma: what do I do with Paris? How do I tell them? Because I'd been fitted for the can-can boots, which is a big thing, and I went, oh my goodness, you know what? And so then, for once, we just thought about our own, what we wanted to do, 
and we actually want to work in an English-speaking country for a while, and again, working together. So that's so you what did we're Irene too. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes. Yeah, because the other boy who is from was from Australia, Peter Pantelic, um, we matched height-wise with Julie. So the three of us were exactly the same. Right. So it looked very good together. So we did all the partnering, everything, all the lifting of yeah. Julie and everything, mm. and yeah. So. There was yeah, so there was Peter Bruce that he both Australians, myself, and then of course Julie were the Australians in the cast. And in the in the audition in the dance centre, um, they asked who can do this, this, and this, and then they said to the girls, "Is there anybody that can do any tricks, any acro?" Right. And yeah. yeah, and and Peter, I got a lot of my uh, jobs when we first started in musicals um, before I met Bruce. Um, it always got down to you get through the singing, you get through. In those days, you could be a good singer or a good dancer. You didn't. Now it's the triple threat where you have to be everything. Then you could get in as a dancer, singer, singer, dancer. So I always got through the dancing. I got part by with the singing. I could harmonise and hold a tune, um, but I was. I will never profess to being a singer. Um, but it always then came down to once you'd done your bit of acting that you had to do who can acrobat and I threw my hand up and I got Irene because of that I got into um, the Australian Opera Company Merry Widow because I could acrobat and and My Fair Lady I guess and My Fair Lady the opening scene yes. with the oh, buskers, buskers. Yeah, yes yeah. and yeah like I, a lot of the shows I got in because I could acrobat having said that when I was in the Opera Company uh, our choreographer was George Carden and he became my mentor and he gave me a lot of work with my acrobatting, I did a lot of shows through George Carden, and he was the one that got me into um, My Fair Lady, um, uh, into some pantomime works that he was doing, and always I was acrobatting and you know doing tricks and things. And he was just a wonderful man. And then when I did Irene, I actually invited him along for opening night, and it wasn't long after that that he passed. Wow! George yeah. Carden used to be the resident choreographer at the London Palais. Correct, and and mm. all his girls like he taught me right from the beginning. When you go for an audition, you go with your hair up into a bun, you go with makeup on, you wear a lovely hot. Well, even in those days, mm. a decent cut leotard, tights, proper heels, and he trained me that way right from day one. And once we got our own company together in 1979, our own dance company, that's what I taught the, my student, my, my girls as well. When you come to an audition, you look the part and people will look at you then. You know, yeah. And I learned that from George Carden. And there's that little instance in Chorus Line. What leotard are you going to wear? What colour are you going to wear? Who's going to look at the colour? Yeah. What are they going to respond to that? Make an color? impression. Yes, yes, make an impression, absolutely. But, you know, go dress for the part, you know. Too many young people, when they came to audition for us, would come in uh, shorts or, um, you know, uh, baggy tops or um, flat shoes when they knew that we were a, you know, like a show girly show and you, you want to see their figures, you want to see them in a heel, you know, so... Mm. Yeah, yeah, certainly and, talking to those performers from the J.C. Williamson's days too, that I mean Nancy Hayes yes. and Dolores Dunbar and Geraldine Turner, they yes. all comment on with Williamson's you had to turn up to the theatre Abs- immaculately dressed absolutely. and leave stage door. Pound, yeah. it was a stickler for it. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And even then when I did Snow White for the Rudis organisation, um, we were in Invercargill and it was like minus a thousand degrees and I got to the stage door and I thought I looked all right. I had like a... it was it, 
yes, it was a tracksuit, but it was a dress tracksuit. Like I'd pay decent money for it and a pair of, well, that was sort of, I guess, like an Ugg boot. I got to the stage door and Iris Williams was there and she was our stage manager then. And she sent me back to my digs and I had to change into a dress and proper shoes to come into the stage door for Snow White. And so, yeah, and so when our girls travelled overseas... Mm. We used to say, okay, on the plane you can change into a tracksuit or whatever, but when you get off that plane, you have to have either dress pants and a nice shirt or a dress on for the to meet the agent. I and always think of that scene in Funny Girl yeah. where they're all dressed up and um, yes. ready to get on the train. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. well, and... Don't and, rain on my parade. Yeah, but exactly. then, But that's what, you know, we taught the kids that. We taught our... Um, people that work for us to always look decent when you're meeting an agent and because first impressions are very very important and as I keep referring back to Carden taught me that at, from a very early age yeah now Bruce you you made your debut about 54 55 years ago I think in 1966 in Funny Girl oh your crystal ball is working beautifully <laughs> <laughs> I think you've been talking to a fairy oh, I, I, oh well one or two one or two fairies yes. uh, in fact um, so, so how did you get into Funny Girl what was the audition process for JC Williamson's at that time in 1966 right okay well very very odd to say the least um, I went along and did the auditions here in Sydney and uh, during the audition um, got to a lifting scenario where I had to do this, this and this and what have you and my nose started to bleed and um, Pounder uh, came over to me and said, oh, would you like to try this with this girl now and do this and do this? So I, I tried and I carried on but I said, no, I can't stop this, this is ridiculous and uh, said, sorry, I can't carry on with the audition. Okay, or well, thank you, we'll be in touch with you anyway. Thank you very much. And um, so I left, and then the following, well, when the show opened, I went along to the opening night. <clears throat> and um, on the opening night, before, as the, the prior to the curtain going up, um, the announcement came over due to the indisposition of Mr. Keith Little, the lead role of the Cornet Man will be played by Mr. Neville Burns. Oh, I sat there and listened. Oh, who's who's the cornet man? Who's this? And so anyway, um, came the end of the show and then the opening night party and what have you, that was all going on. Of course, naturally, I wasn't invited to that. (laughs) I was just in the audience seeing the show. And um, so I went off and uh, had a drink in that afterwards and got home. And uh, in the morning, my grandmother knocked on the door and she said, you've got a telegram here. Telegram, yeah. and uh, and I said, oh, who could that be from? She said, I don't know. She said, you've got to come and read it. So anyway, I read it and it said, could you please be at the stage door of Her Majesty's Theatre at 9am on Monday morning? And so this was Sunday. So it had been delivered, sorry, um, Saturday. It had been delivered from um, Friday night. And, uh, and I thought, oh, my goodness. So anyway, off I went into Her Majesty's and that was the case. Um, unfortunately for Keith, his his wife and his daughter were killed. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, on the road yep. in Victoria. And um, and that's how that happened. So I sort of owe my start in a funny way to Keith. Yeah. yeah. Or a blood nose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. But um, that, was, that was that. So Funny Girl went on for another 18 months and... 
Then I tripped the light fantastic and Fiddler on the Roof from then on through till the end of 1969. As a principal dancer? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Playing Mrs. Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Russian here and Russian there. Oh. Everything had to be done very, very quickly. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, but that was a great show to be in. As much as it, a lot of people said it would never work, terrible, got terrible crits on the opening night here in Sydney, Fiddler on the Roof. And, um, and Ian Roberts marched everyone on stage the next day and just laid the law down and said, listen here, all of these writers, all of these writers are um, either sports writers or people that haven't got a clue what they've been watching, you know, or they don't like juice. <laughs> and so anyway, that was uh, not to happen. The, the show went on and a huge success. And I left it before it finished because it went off to England. Ian Roberts was the stage manager, wasn't he, with J.C. Director. Williams. Director, was he? Stage yeah, director. Yeah, that one. Right, on right, that right. one, yes. Who were some of the other, uh, you know, we know all about Pounder. And he who... directed Funny Girl as well, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Mm. Right. Who were some of the other characters that, that were around at that time, either in the ensemble or on the staff at J.C. Williamson's that you can remember? Characters. <laughs> yeah, characters. Because I've spoken to various people and they always talk about people, you know, um, Teddy Ashton for one of them. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, there you are. You've just dropped a huge name there, Teddy. Um, he, he was a funny character. He, he was the social secretary, party organiser, running raffles, doing all of that. That was happening every week in the theatre. There was something always going on and on and on. But uh, the, the one thing that I always remember with Teddy Aka Ada Ashton, <laughs> yes, um, was that one night in, I think it was a Wednesday matinee in actual fact, in the bottle dance in, Fid in, in Fiddler, we all came up into the line uh, and you're all, the, the, the line of us, the six boys all holding hands and we had to travel across the stage doing cross steps and with the bottles on our heads and the word came along from the end of the line that Ada Ashton had just farted on OP. And so all of a sudden all the hands were moving and going the other way and the rest of the bottle dance was done on Bromside in a very constricted area <laughs> to a lot of laughs and giggles. But that, but he was the character. And after after that, dare I say, he got into a bit of strife and what and ended up in jail. Did he really? Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. To the, got to the point... He was running raffles and doing all the same things in jail. Putting on shows in jail. And when he'd finished his sentence, he'd come out, of, come out of jail and then he'd do something to get back in again. Yeah, yeah true. He, he enjoyed the lifestyle. Yeah, extraordinary. Because mm. these companies were built of a, a whole range of people. You know, we didn't have the training institutions in those no. times or whatever. So mm. there were people who had grown up in dance schools yes. or who yeah. just happened to have a good voice, yeah. I guess. yeah. yeah. But Teddy had a long, a long line of musicals to his credit, you know, starting off, in, I think, in, in Geelong. I think it was Geelong, Teddy, with Dennis O'Keefe, another one of the singers. Yeah. So um, there's, that's, that's my number one character for fun. For fun, yeah. Yes. yeah good yeah. stuff, good stuff. Yeah. Now, tell me about Humpty Dumpty on Ice. You taught yourself to skate. Umpty Dumpty on Ice. Umpty Dumpty, <laughs> was it? You went to the UK to yes. do Umpty Dumpty. yes. <laughs> Yes, well, that happened because of, um, it, once again, in Fiddler on the Roof, Collardown Ice came to Australia. And um, I was just going off and doing things, what have you, as you do after 
after the show one night and they said, oh, we're all going to a party. We're going to meet the Holiday and Ice kids, right? And I said, oh, that all sounds interesting. Can I come? So they said, why not? So there was no holes barred in those days. And so we met and then they all said, well, you've got to come. I said, oh, I can ice skate, per se. And uh, I'd learnt as a kid, you know, and doing things, what have you, but I wasn't up to their professional standard. And so anyway, um, I was introduced to quite a few of the people and, and then one particular lady, Jacqueline Harbord, who just turned out to be the star of the show, um, uh, she uh, hit it off with me and we just had such a laugh that night that, uh, and we got talking afterwards about over a coffee or two and three and and she wanted to do classes so she came in and did a couple of classes with us and then she said could you choreograph something for me on the ice and so off we went down to St Moritz and uh, and I said well your music is Big Spender and so um, we put that together and we finished with a jump split on ice never been seen before and um, Jackie was excellent she could do anything you could tell her to do within reason and so um that was that and then Holiday and Ice left Australia she went back to England and skated in the World Professional Ice Skating Championships with my big spender and won oh wow so consequently the word went out who's the choreographer oh okay so then I, I get a, another call from Jackie saying I've got an invitation for you would you like to come and I said what for and she said to skate in the ice show at Wembley this year Empire Pool <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I've done what I can do here. So I went to Pounder and I said, I've been offered this job to go over to London. I said, it's nothing big, but I said it would get me my green card, so to speak, to work West End in London. And um, because Wembley is just outside, considered provincial, right? the Empire Pool. So um, I went over there and did Umpty Dumpty on Us, yes, and we did that for, for uh, four months. Yes, four months, four months of it. And uh, after that, um, I went into the infamous Birds of a Feather, a big all-male review with the female impersonators and a line of six boys. Right. And I was one of the boys. And um, Ron Engleton and... Who else was there? And Tony, Tony, and yeah, there was a couple of Australians in it anyway. And and another boy, another boy, one of the male dancers who I would eventually end up working with in the Lido as well. Um, Are you yeah. all singing live? In, in yeah, that, that was all yeah. live. That right. was all live. Yeah, and it was in all, the Channel Islands. And right. uh, this this was in the Royalty Theatre in West End. Right. Up yeah. before it went. There. Yeah, and then I uh, uh, finished that contract. And, um, oh, when we first walked into the Royalty Theatre, there was the big show curtain there, and it was a peacock. And we said, oh, my God, who's designed this? This is a disaster. <laughs> yes, because peacocks are bad luck, mm. aren't they, peacock mm. Disaster. Because yeah. yeah. yeah, on, on the thing, they had all pieces of peacock tails, you know, on, on the actual thing. Right. You know? <laughs> the proscenium? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, the producer, who was Raymond, of Raymond's Review Bar, um, Paul Raymond, Consequently, he suffered a huge loss on that, but I think it was a, an organised write-off. Had there been many all-male reviews before? Or oh, well, Daniel LaRue was right. working in London. Right. He was big time then, of course. And then the star of our show was Ricky Renee, 
and he was his opposition competition and uh, so following on after birds of a feather from the ice show to birds of a feather and then down to the channel islands into a show called let's have a party and that ran from right through the summer um, at the same time um, prior to me going to the channel islands i had uh, conducted an audition know i'd been to or attended an audition and then an interview with um, uh, the representative from the Lido and there was nothing much coming out of that and he just said uh, at the end of the whole thing well I'll be in touch with you and uh, let you know if there's any work coming up and I thought oh right okay and I'd heard prior to that there was um, problems with this person not to take too much notice of him right. but uh, at the time I didn't know that and so anyway I went off down to Jersey and the Channel Islands and did that summer show and um, as soon as I got back I had a message there for me to be in touch with the rep and he told me straight away he said can you go to Paris and audition for the Lido we want to see you there and so I went across and I auditioned for the Lido and the, the guy in charge was Reg Priestman who's now in Perth and um, he was the principal dancer and so he put me through my paces and he said, can you do a double turn here? And can you do change it to the other side and do a double turn there? Now can you do it on the left side double turn? And, then and when I'm saying doing these double turns, it was down the side, each side of the stage, there was a, a like a parky, parquetry floor design on the, and you had to stay on that there and go straight down and keep turning with the stage up and people sitting down the head level here you see and you had to do that and once you got through that then you'd be if, if you didn't get through that well you couldn't work in the Lido because that was the opening of the show and and um, and all the boys were dressed as jockeys the show was called Grand Prix you're a big jockey <laughs> <laughs> yes and big bluebells too <laughs> and so anyway um uh, finished that finished that audition and went through the rest of the paces on the that that I had to do there with him and he said okay that's fine thank you very much um, when can you be here and so I said oh okay so it was on the thirty first of October in uh, nineteen seventy nineteen seventy one uh, yeah seventy that I went across and it was my birthday right so I decided that after that audition I would just go and have a small celebration so I went up to the Dursley Metage of the Eiffel Tower and sat there and had a hamburger and a, <laughs> and a carafe of red wine <laughs> that was my big celebration and then I staggered back to the airport and flew back to London <laughs> that's not bad only five years after making your debut in, in Funny Girl yeah. you're, you're at the Lido yes but it was just a progression of going from one show to another to another to another mm. Yeah, but the thing also, Peter, um, with Reg Priestman, uh, later on we were Bruce and I. Once we formed our act and everything, and I told you we were working in London and working in nightclubs, um, doing our act. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Dougie Squires, who was famous in England with shows, um, he saw us and asked us for to audition for him in one of his big review shows that was going to Hong Kong. And we'd, we were just about finished our contract in Irene, so we thought, oh, well, we'll audition for it. And we auditioned as principal dancers, and we were lucky enough to get the contract. So we went off to Hong Kong for... The contract was a year. And while we were there, Reg came over, Reg Priestman, 
came over and saw us working there as lead dancers and that's how we got home. Reg then employed us to come back and be principal dancers at the Rest Point Casino in Hobart with his big production show there and that's how we got to come home was through Reg who Bruce had worked with at the Lido. Yes, yeah. So it's all... And the, and the, and the coming home bit was when we had our mini uh, honeymoon. Honeymoon, two years yes. later, or yes. over two we years came, later. We, yes, we finished Irene and we we jumped ship and said goodbye, thank you very much, that's our 18 months done, <laughs> we can get out of here now. So we flew across to New York, um, we caught a few shows there, we were sitting in um, Liza Minnelli's show in the stalls, and, uh, Liza with the Z. Yes, yeah, Liza Z. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd seen Frank, Franklin Gallo in, in Dracula. Dracula. Yeah. Oh, amazing! And uh, and um, the uh, what's the name? The All Black Show. Um, not the Wiz. Ain't misbehaving. No. no. It was can't the Wiz, remember. wasn't it? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah it probably was. The Wiz. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the All Black one. <laughs> <laughs> People of colour. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I turned around and was just, as you do in the theatre, when you're seated, I've got to check out the place. I've never been in this theatre before. Turned around to her, I didn't believe it. Three rows behind us, Betty Pounder. You're joking. No. Brilliant. Yeah, and Betty Pounder was wonderful to us because we were both working. When we decided to, or Bruce asked me to form the Adagio Act, I was in Irene, Bruce was in Pippin, and um, I went and told Betty, pounded the truth that Bruce had asked me which means I was going to break my contract in Irene and she was so you know we wish you all the best and and Mm. anytime you want to come back and if it doesn't work out you know she was so lovely to both of us and we kept in contact with her the whole time like with our shows and everything what we were doing yeah it was lovely Mm. she was very very supportive of what we were doing It sounds like the opportunities came along quite oh, regularly. Yeah, for both were there, of us. Were there any really hard times where you're out of work for a period? I have to be honest. I was. I left. Um, my first job was well after I when I was nine. I was with the Johnny O'Keefe show, and that was my first professional gig. But I actually left. That's television. That right? no, it was at no. a theatre. All right. A theatre in Newcastle, and I was so homesick because I was only nine. My parents would have to drive down, which was a long way in those days, um, drive down to see me and stay with me all weekend because I was so I was the youngest by far. And, and you um, were chaperone during the week, were you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Just by the other girls. Not They didn't have any... It wasn't... Uh, professionals? Yeah. No, 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 it wasn't done no. like that. No. Oh, God, no. Oh, no, not in those days. You know, you That's were in quite the an show. education. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was, yes. Uh, but I actually left school in from year 10, um, much to the um, upset of my parents, because I was offered a contract with Rudis Acrobats to go overseas. And so I, I left to go overseas when I was 15. And um, and But I was so lucky, because when I came back from that contract, that's when um, I auditioned for the Australian Opera, and, of course, Carden never saw me out of work. I went from job to job through George Carden until I then stepped aside and did Irene. And that was on my own back and everything. And um, and that's where I met Bruce. And so, well, he was in Pippin. Um, he was, we were rehearsing Irene in, in the Madge in Melbourne and Bruce was performing in Pippin. And for my 18th birthday, Val Bader and a couple of the others took me to see um, Pippin. And we met Bruce backstage and everything. And, um, yeah, and the two casts, like, they were lovely people. We'd go to their movie nights and things like that. And the two casts got on very well. And that's where Bruce and I met. And 
Bruce watched me do some... Um, Oh, I, I was always in... Do you know Gilda Godden, Ray Godden? I've heard of Gilda Godden. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he was the head of wardrobe for the Australian Opera and he would put on every so many months a an all-camp review, it was called. And he, for some reason, Gilda and I got on very well and he always asked me to do, oh, can you do a can-can this time or could you do an acrobatic solo, something a bit different, you know. And um, and just before I was going on for the can-can solo, a light blew and there was glass all over the stage. Right. And I thought, oh, this will be interesting. How am I going to get around this? But I did because you learn to adapt. And Bruce was in the audience and he said, well, if she can get through that plus with the skills she's got... And that's how he asked me to form the Adagio Act. And then, so did it start as a professional relationship? Oh, yes. A, oh, 100%. Became, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Right. Right. I, mm. I couldn't stand him when we were rehearsing. And <laughs> ah, he was but, too bossy. I, but, yeah, <laughs> but I'd ring the kids in Irene. i go, I don't think I've made the right choice. And, and Michael O'Connor, he was my closest <laughs> friend, he used to say, come home, love, come home, just come back to us. You know, that's fine and foul. They were all behind me 100%, you know. But um, no, it worked out in the end. But he was very tough. And he kept it as a business relationship, 100%, like while he was teaching me the act and everything. There was never any romance or anything right. like that. Right. It was it was definitely just work. So I had the respect. Because I think if we'd have gone into a relationship first, maybe the respect wouldn't have been there as much. Well, I the don't relationship know. may not have lasted. Oh, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. so it went in as totally, totally business, yeah. just as a business relationship. And um, it was very tough on me to start with, you know, till I learnt the ropes and the act and what. And that that was also one of the reasons why we took on the the um, grooming and deportment school in Geelong, because the opportunity lay there, and um, it was a, a huge learning curve for both of us. Um, but it was also a big confidence uh, booster for Leslie. And and it, to have to run all these children, yeah, and teach them things that I had never really been involved in, you no, know. No, no, and and so consequently, over the years, that early trainings come out through Miss Leslie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, and the girls, all the girls that work for us, they used to come into rehearsals shaking in their high heels. <laughs> 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 What's going to happen next? What's going to do next? You know, but they all had the respect for her. Yep. And it'd carry right through to our professional company like that. Mm. Yeah. But Peter, you know, before when you asked Bruce, were there any characters or anything like that? I, I was thinking all the time of Peter Casey. Because Peter Casey, the, how I met the Pe musical director. The musical yes. director, right. yes. He actually was in um, My Fair Lady with me in. As at, a performer? Yes, right. as a performer. And um, yeah, so my first uh, knowledge of Peter was as, as a singer, you know, before wow. he became. Mr. Peter Casey, you know, mm. so yeah, all people like that that just start like we all do in the chorus or whatever, and then have gone on to big heights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I just think that's Peter the thing about this industry, that. isn't it? There's so many pathways to mm. finding your place. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's not about the the training institutions. No, so many people have found their way into all sorts of roles. Oh, absolutely, just happy accidents. Or, yes, or mm. taking up, never saying no. Yes, mm. absolutely. But you did ask um, Bruce a question like, "Have we had any heartaches or things that haven't gone right?" We've been very lucky with work. Um, we having our own company um, for so dance, many years, dance on core productions, on core productions mm. which was a company that we opened in 1979, 
and um, continued to about 2004, employing many, many artists, not just dancers, but singers, musicians, um, acts, uh, circus performers. You know, we even hired a whole circus to go to Japan. Um, but yeah, we've, we've done really well. And then we went into uh, doing some musicals and we did Cinderella and produced and directed that and Snow White. And but as well as being producers, you're doing all the creative roles. Oh, as yeah, well, aren't absolutely. You? It's yeah. A huge task. Yeah. And Graham McLean McLean was highly involved. One, wonderful yes. Graham McLean, yes. yes. designer. Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah. He was doing all that. And yeah, we had a great team behind us. But yeah, we did everything. We did the costumes once Graham designed them. Um, I did all the choreography of all the shows. Um, I travelled with the show, a stage manager, and, you know. Wicked Witch at some point. And then, yeah, the Evil Queen and the Wicked Witch. Yes, yes. I did that for a stint as well. So, Mm. yeah. So it's very good at that. (laughs) (laughs) Typecast, typecast. But it was uh, towards the end of that um, when we did have, we ran into some problems with Snow White with, uh, we hit some um, bushfires and everything when we were travelling the cast through. We were travelling a cast of about 30. Yeah. Um, with crew and, yeah, crew and obviously Seven Dwarfs and um, dancers and, yeah, all, all the characters in the show, um, plus backstage staff and crew. And, um, yeah, we hit bushfires and so we lost a lot of money. We hit, hit um, heat waves in, in when we were in Melbourne um, and that's when we decided, wow, uh, we're losing money here. We have to get out. And um, and Japan also was starting to dry up for us because they just had the um, uh, the crash of their of the yen and everything, and had a um, lot of problems. So they were stopping international performers coming in, and we thought we have to sort of do something different. And mm. not to be outdone, we went, okay, let's open a performing arts school. So we turned our professional company into a performing arts studio and that's what we've done since 2004 and to this day run a, like a performing arts school where they, we, and all my teachers, I tried to get ex-professionals that knew their, knew their job. Of course, unfortunately now, um, I've had to replace people, of course, because, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, so I have got younger teachers now. But at the beginning, they were all... I had Hilton Bonner as our drama teacher. I had the wonderful singer Ida Nicholas as our singing coach. Everyone that worked for me had been in the business and yep. could... And Dolores Dunbar worked for me for a while. Yep. Um, you know, so that they could give that professional advice and, and um, professionalism to the students. So you're so, training a new generation of performers. That's right, yeah, we yeah. are. And so from having like the big people, I've now got the little people, you know, and we have our, um, our performance group, and, but I train them exactly the same. They have to come dressed in a certain way and their makeup a certain way, so they get the professional expertise. I've taught them how to set costumes for quick changes and things like that, so they're, yeah, they appreciate it. And you know? talking about costumes and quick changes and all of that... One girl who is a prime example, um, her name is Lee Slaughter, and she comes yeah. from Bankstown. Yeah. And she was with us and toured as a dancer and then as a company, company manager. manager for us, yeah. And then after, the, after that, we, we don't hold people back. They can go on to whatever they want to do, so we encourage and her. And I will just jump in there yeah. because we actually encourage them once they've worked. Some kids were, had worked for us for 15 years. 
And after they've done so many contracts, we would actually say, you need to try and work for somebody else. For your own growth. Mm. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't yeah. stay you into a rut with us because you know what we want. You know how we operate. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about Denise. Yes. And I said, you've got to get out and work for someone else. And she did on the cruise lines. But anyway... Yeah, yeah so. so so Lee went off to um, join um, Disney and she was a tall girl, so she was getting suit work, you see. So, I mean, a tall, glamorous girl inside a suit. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, but at the same time, while she was working, she was being watched. And the, it was the good fairy that was watching her because she was teaching all the kids how to preset and do all these things that wasn't being done and how to fix costumes because the kids on on our professional show we weren't there if something broke they needed to know we used to teach them how to repair things and particularly like buckles on shoes you know silver high heels uh, straps it sounds sounds very mundane tights 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 with a hole and fishnet tights how to sew that and lee knew all that so. Yeah, so anyway, she <coughs> um, she carried on with Disney and then they decided they offered her a job in the office in Melbourne on the administration side. And so she said she, she took that and moved into that side and using her uh, uh, all these things that she'd learned from Dance on Core, she imparted that onto the office and through and she just kept on doing this same thing but on different levels. And to this very day, Lee Slaughter is married uh, to the head of pyrotechnics for Disney. And she is one of five of Disney Imagineering. Five people. She's the president of Imagineering. And you can imagine when we took our show group to Disneyland and before the show, they always do a a big group photo of of the students. And... In walks Lee. I, I couldn't believe it. And I hadn't seen her in many years. And she gave the kids the biggest lecture about Bruce and I. Yeah. Wow. wow. Mm. That must be a great reward. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yes, it was. It was very special. Yeah. So it was good It was good that you, you can see from uh, from the dance encore training, a la Miss Leslie and, and what have you, that, that these things can evolve. Right, mm. one other quick one I'll tell you about, and that was a, a dear little girl from who's dyslexic from New Zealand, Anna O'Keefe, and uh, she worked with us and did a couple of shows to Japan and that, and cute as beautiful looking girl, you know, and um, and we said to her, she said to us, I'm, I'm interested in going and working somewhere else, and we said, well, go ahead and do it, you know, we're not going to stop you. We want you to go ahead. If you can, you know, better yourself, that's great, you know. So anyway, off she went and she went to Paris and she tried out for various things and couldn't get into the moulin. They said she wasn't too tall, tall enough. And uh, and then eventually she ended up around the corner in, on the Champs, just off the Champs-Élysées in the uh, Crazy Horse. And, um, and so she became uh, one of the Crazy Horse girls. And, um, and as you know, with the Crazy Horse it's a nude show yep. right but they have all the tricks of the trade and With I won't lighting get, and everything yeah yeah and so anyway she um uh kept on working on her on her technique and everything and learning acrobatics you know, more than what she'd done before and then she in those days it was quite a while ago um to dance with a pole was something that only ever existed in a crazy horse 
So she learned that and she did a few other tricks with the ropes and stuff. And um, she became the star of the Crazy Horse. And then she ended up doing galas in Monte Carlo and all around the place. And uh, the next minute we had the Consulate General of, uh, from New York in touch with us saying, could we sponsor her to be in the United States to, as a performer? And so we did that. And she came across to Vegas and she was instilled in the brand new Crazy Horse show there as the star. Yeah. Um, Roxy Tornado was her stage name. Right. And, um, but an and, absolute superstar. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and then <laughs> she, the next thing was Cirque du Soleil snapped her up and she starred in, in the Zamanti. And then she retired and happily married to a French patisserie. <laughs> patisserie. Nice. Patisserie, yes. Yeah. Eating pastries. All yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, it makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? All those endless hours that you invest in the studio yes. and, and making yeah. costumes. And, yes. And giving those kids experiences which are going to stay with them a lifetime, yeah. those memories. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like I still get together with my professional girls. We have reunions and we have things and they all say... Uh, that we gave them such a good start in life because we were strict um, but we were fair and um, and they've gone on to be the people they are they feel because of what we gave them now you two I know uh, spend endless hours devoted to your jobs Mm. but what's your perfect day off describe that for me what do you do I suppose it's watching the sharks for you (laughs) Bruce Uh, well we go for a walk yeah we do lots of walks I I really like just relaxing on a beach, to be very honest with you. That's an ideal day off for me. Just because we live at our studio, our apartment is attached to our studio, um, obviously during the week, if I think, oh, I'll just do something, I always end up back in the studio doing book work or something on the computer like most people, and I don't get a break from it. But Sunday we really try and just, if on a nice day, go to the beach. We do a lot of walking and, of course... Um, looking forward to spending time with our son in Melbourne yeah, you know, yeah. when we his can wife, and his Claire. wife. So, yeah, but that's that's what we enjoy doing, isn't mm. it? Going for drives, just going somewhere new, going for a walk. Yeah. Well, well let's give the studio a plug, of course, because <laughs> anyone listening that has some, some young people who would uh, love a performing arts experience, the school is in Bexley, isn't it? It is. It is on Queen Victoria Street. And it's 94 called... to 100, <laughs> Queen Victoria Street, Bexley, 2207. <laughs> And it's called Dance on Call Performing Arts Studio. Terrific, yeah, which is in Sydney, you. of course, yes. to anybody listening outside of Sydney <laughs> yes. at the moment. Well, Bruce and Leslie, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. You've been on my list from the beginning of, <laughs> of stages because I know you have such a rich, um, vast careers on various stages all over the world. Um, and you continue to invest that in, in the new generation of performers. So, so thank you. We should also be so lucky to have such champions as, as the two of you. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank Thanks you, for thank asking you, thank us. You. Yes, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. Aren't they the most fabulous pair and two of the nicest people you could ever hope to meet? We all should have such champions as Leslie and Bruce Scott. I think sawdust pumps through their veins, such is their passion, commitment and respect for the theatre and live entertainment. Theirs is an extensive story and there's a lot more we didn't get to touch on. My guests today, show veterans, Leslie and Bruce Scott. It is always super to have your company joining stages for yet another engaging conversation with brilliant artists. I'm Peter Ayers. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.